Hello and welcome to the world-famous Driving You Crazy podcast. This is the show where we talk about all things transportation, anything that gets you from here to there. I am the traffic anchor as well as the transportation reporter for Denver 7 News, Jason Luber. And if you would like to uh, give me a call, if you have a question, a comment, a concern, anything like that, you can always give me a call on the listener hotline, that phone number 303-832-0217. And I'll put you on the old program here if it is a good enough comment. Uh, anyway, we have a good show for you today. When I say we, I mean me. Uh, I'm a fan of, <laughs> of intersections, especially interesting ones, like a, like a diverging diamond where you actually drive on the left, usually over a bridge except, instead of the right. Uh, it's a really interesting way to f- move traffic uh, in a unique way. Uh, there's all kinds of other unique intersections uh, that you might come across. Well, in just a little bit, I'm going to visit with a traffic engineer from the city of Littleton here in Colorado about a new interchange they're looking at. It's called a quadrant road, or quad for short. Now, they say this is a way to move traffic through a major interchange faster and safer by, get this, eliminating left turns at that intersection. Well, then, how do you go left? By using the quad road. That's the part of this design that's interesting. Now, we'll get more in. Uh, we'll get more information on all of this from Aaron Human. Uh, from Littleton Public Works coming up in just a minute. Also a bit later, since it is the holiday season, I have a holiday story for you, and it is the most dangerous Christmas songs to drive to. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, there is a list for that, and I have that list. So if you're driving to these certain songs, uh, and especially if you're singing them out loud, it can be very dangerous to do that. Um, so I'll have that list coming up in just a little bit as well. First, I want to head to the mailbag. Uh, by the way, if you want to send me a question, a comment, or concern, you can find me on any of the contact links in the description of this show. Uh, I, I just posted uh, here on uh, the denverchannel.com, uh, and you just click on the left side menu, go to uh, Denver 7 Traffic, and then Driving You Crazy, and you can see all my traffic stories there. And one of my latest ones is about uh, uh, front plates. Somebody was asking me about why why people who own Teslas typically don't put front plates on their car. Colorado is one of many states that require front license plates on cars, no matter if it's a Tesla or or any kind of car. And there's a lot of people that don't. If you're driving around, you'll notice them now. You'll notice all these cars not putting on front plates uh, if your state uh, requires it. Um, anyway, it's, it's had robust commentary on my Twitter feed and, and my, and the, Insta, and the, uh, uh, Facebook deal. Um, so that's, <laughs> that's out there. If you, I'll, 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 I'll cover that story here in the next week or two. Uh, I'll bring it here to you on the show, but, uh, I wanted to go to the mailbag cause I got an odd letter from Ethan. Uh, and Ethan writes, what's driving you crazy. Sometimes my dad, Nick really likes to go crazy and put the gas pedal into overdrive. I don't understand why he is always such a lunatic while driving on the highway and in the city of Boulder. Every day after school at Fairview High School in South Boulder, he says, quote, let's blow this pickle stand, unquote. (laughs) Yes, I know, but this is driving me crazy. I want to make it so my dad doesn't get a speeding ticket like he did in Wyoming one time. Please help, Jason. (laughs) Now I really kind of want to hear that. That Wyoming story, uh, that might be an interesting story uh, to see what happened uh, with Nick uh, there in Wyoming. Uh, it's probably 
uh, isn't as good as I would want it to be. Uh, but it, I, I'd still want to hear it anyway. Anyway, some people like the speed. Uh, I tend to drive faster than the speed limit on the highways, but uh, it, 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 just a little bit. I'm not doing 80 in a 60, uh, but I just tend to go right at or a little bit above the speed limit. Very typical for most people on the highway, but I definitely watch my speeds when I'm off the highways. Uh, but some spe- people like to speed all the time. And, and m- maybe a, a, an intervention with you and your other family members can help out with, with your dad, um, Ethan. But uh, I think uh, other than than just saying something, maybe you just have to confront him and say something. Look, Dad, I, 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 I like driving with you, but I'm not going to drive with you anymore uh, until you slow down, especially if you're going to be going fast around a school. Because on a serious note, if your dad is speeding around a school, that's that's obviously very dangerous. I, I get really upset every time I see some Yahoo speeding past my daughter's elementary school, especially at pickup time when the school zone speed limit is in effect. Because you see the kids, they're walking home. They're right there next to the road on the sidewalk, and you're, you're not supposed to be going 35 miles an hour in the school zone when it says go 20. The kids are expecting you to slow down, to look out for them. They're, 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 they're not as, 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 uh, adept on the roadways as you might be. And so they, they, they would appreciate you slowing down in a school zone as would I, um, and really it's for speeders. It's, it's all about time. It's really, there's no reason to go fast, whether it's in a school zone or, or, uh, on some other roadways that, that you're really, uh, not going to be speeding very, very fast or for a long distance. Uh, maybe that's another argument, Ethan, you can you can tell to your dad. Uh, if you're going long distances, then driving at a higher speed can make sense to save some significant amounts of time. I mean, the d- difference between going 60 miles an hour and going 80 miles an hour over a, uh, let's say, a 400-mile distance, yeah, you're going to save a lot of time by going faster for that long duration of time. But speeding for short trips really isn't all that time-saving. Maybe you could argue it is, depending on how you get to a traffic light and how many traffic lights you can get through and, and you're not stopping. Uh, but but that's a crapshoot unless you know exactly how the lights are timed. So speeding for short trips really isn't all that time-saving. Uh, really not en- enough to justify the increased risk to safety, especially in a school zone where there are kids around. I mean, th- those are kids. <laughs> kids. Uh, I, I just have a special place in my heart for that. And it's one of my, um, I, I, if you want to say it's a cause, I, I don't really make it a cause, but I guess here it is. That's my cause. Don't speed in a school zone when the lights are flashing and kids are around. Uh, if you have a uh, question or a comment or a concern about this or anything else, you can always get a uh, hold of me on any of the contact links uh, in the description of this show. Okay, now that's off my chest. Uh, on the south side of Metro Denver, in the city of Littleton, there's a very busy interchange at, along Santa Fe at Mineral. Santa Fe is a pretty major road. Mineral is not quite as major. But Santa Fe is a pretty major road in, in the south metro part of Denver. It's a high-volume interchange. It can be dangerous. And there's an interesting plan to help make this interchange flow better and make it safer. It's called a quadrant interchange, basically eliminating all left turns at the major roadways and diverting those left turns into a different intersection, the quad. 
Well, then how do you go left and, and how does it work overall? Well, here to explain all of that is Aaron Human, Transportation Engineering Manager for Littleton Public Works. Aaron is a professional engineer and a professional traffic operations engineer. Aaron, thanks so much for being here on the world-famous Driving You Crazy podcast. My pleasure. Thank you, Jason, for having me. So we'll get into the quadrant interchange discussion in just a second. But first, I I always want to know a little bit more about uh, especially traffic engineers' backgrounds. So what got you interested in roads and intersections and traffic engineering? (laughs) Well, without going into too long a story, um, you know, I started out in structural engineering, which is part of civil engineering also, as is transportation. And uh, it was just a little too monotonous for me. I took a a transportation class at the University of Illinois, and I got hooked. It was, uh, you know, as engineers, we like to solve problems. And, um, you know, it was obvious to me, even 20, 30 years ago when I was in college, that this was going to be an issue um, for the rest of my life, um, how we were going to address moving people around throughout our community. So I became hooked on it, and um, it's been what I've been, I've been constrained on the rest of my career so far. And it's just, it's always fascinating to me because um, I know a lot of people like just to think about cars when they think about traffic, but it's a lot more about um, moving people than it is moving cars, right? So all those different alternative methods, whether it be transit or biking or walking, what have you. So it's just fascinating to me. and, And I try and convey that as best I can to other people. And I'm sure the ideas that you were learning in school so many years ago are so much different than how we're actually doing it now in in real life, right? Oh, exactly. I mean, we constantly have very intelligent people out there who are coming up with new ideas and new ways to do things and new ways to move people, safer ways, um, not only with how we you know build cars nowadays to make them safer for people, but also about how we design our roadways and operate our signals and stuff like that to make them safer for people. We're constantly learning. You know, that's part of what engineering is, right? It's, it's not a stagnant field. It's something we're constantly adapting and, and uh, evolving as, as our communities change. So, um, yeah, it's very interesting. And, you know, I'm always eager to learn new ways to do things. Um, that's how I've kind of approached my career is I never want to assume that I know everything. I want to learn from other people. And so this is a perfect example of that, of, of taking a, not a new concept, but a new concept to our area and trying to adapt it to make it work the best it can and make a, a safer um, situation. Um, out of a very congested and unsafe condition that we have. I'm speaking with Aaron Human, Transportation Engineering Manager at Littleton Public Works. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about that new idea intersection, as you were just mentioning. In general, not necessarily specifically here at Santa Fe and Mineral in Littleton, mm-hmm. but the Quadrant Roadway idea, where did it come about? How long has it been around? Well, I, I could make something up for you, but I, I'm not going to lie. I, I don't know the history of where quadrant roads come from. You know, it's been an idea that's been out there for years and years, but it's it's a little unique because you need a, enough land, right, to be able to divert traffic away from your primary intersection. And that's just not always the case. You don't always have that space. Um, and you know, we when this idea came up specifically for this project, we did kind of look at around the country and try and find other examples of it to kind of model off of and see what we could do, 
to improve on what's been done in other places or to use ideas that have worked really well in other areas. So we, you know, we kind of try to take that history that's out there and adapt it to, to make it work in our specific situation here in Littleton. Have you ever driven in one of these quadrant interchanges? Um, there are a couple, we'll call them pseudo quadrant roadway situations around the Denver metro area, and I have driven through those, but they're not going to be exactly what we're trying to put together here. Most of the quadrant road examples that we found are more on the East Coast um, adaptations for, you know, where they have very congested areas and they needed to adapt or, or transform something. So you're not going to see a whole lot around here. So not a lot of opportunities to drive on one, but I certainly understand the concept and, and I'd be happy to try and explain it the best I can <laughs> to your to your audience and, and see if we can convey to them so they can understand what, what's going to happen here in Littleton. All right, perfect. Because I, I did include a video uh, that uh, the city has put out that, that shows if people want to see that, they can get the link right now in the description of this show and you can watch how it works. But try to explain if you can in uh, almost radio terms, if you will, how this intersection works. Sure. You're making this very hard for an engineer. I'm going to try not to use acronyms, you know. And, and, oh, it's yeah, fine. Go ahead. We can use, use words, and we sense. can use anything you, know, you want. <laughs> exactly. No, first of all, I, I appreciate you sharing that video. Um, that is something that our consultant um, put together for us as a part of the education process. You know, a big part of making it successful is educating the public ahead of time of how it's going to work. And that's why we put out this video. Uh, I hope everybody shares it as much as they can because the more people see how it works, the more they'll understand it when they get there. But the general concept is the intersection of Santa Fe and Mineral, as you said, is very congested today, has a lot of safety issues. We have upwards of 90,000 vehicles a day going through that intersection right now. And it's hard to move that much traffic with the current um, lane configuration we have. So when we started this process and we hired a consultant to kind of do an analysis of the intersection and come up with what are some alternatives, we knew long-term, based on the volumes that are out there, that we're going to need an interchange someday. And by interchange, I mean where you grade separate, you have one roadway that is above or below the other roadway, and then you have some sort of ramp configuration that transfers vehicles between those two roadways. Typical of what you see along I-25, C-470, I-70, and all the interchanges. That's the long term. Unfortunately, that costs upwards of 65 to $100 million to build something like that, especially in the situation we have here at this intersection in Littleton, where we have both light rail and heavy rail running immediately along the east side of Santa Fe. So with that situation and it being grade separated right along the east side, it really reduces your options of what you can do with this intersection. To complicate things on top of it, we have a light rail station, the mineral light rail station, immediately on in the northeast corner of this intersection and the parking for that light rail station in the northwest corner with a pedestrian bridge over Santa Fe that connects those two. Well, that makes things even more um, confined in this area of what we can do. So we started off looking at a whole bunch of different options, other things that you're, other configurations that you're seeing around the Denver metro area that are going in, such as um, what we call CFI. That's a continuous flow intersection where you'll see that they'll move the left turns 
over ahead of the intersection so that they're not conflicting with opposing through traffic at the actual intersection itself. So that was one type of configuration we considered. But when the quad road idea came about, and it was presented by this consultant that we hired as an option, because in the southwest corner, corner at Santa Fe and Mineral, there's currently, it's just an open field. Now, we have a developer that has purchased that land and is looking to develop it with a mixed-use um, type development, which is a combination of residential and commercial um, land use there. But we started talking to them early about the possibility of using part of their land because they're going to need some sort of internal circulation, right? Roadway to get out to Mineral, to get out to Santa Fe. So we talked to them about combining that internal circulation with solving this regional problem of what's going on at Santa Fe and Mineral. And what a quad road does is it takes all the left turn movements away from the primary intersection. So in this case, Santa Fe and Mineral. So all you'll have at that intersection are basically through movements and right turn movements. And I know at first blush, that sounds like, well, geez, how are people going to get you know, northbound from Santa Fe to turn on to Mineral and, and vice versa. And what happens is the Quadrant Road catches those vehicles either before or just after they've gone through the primary intersection and diverts them onto this secondary roadway and pulls them away from that primary intersection and disperses those left turn movements. And the benefits it provides at the Santa Fe Mineral intersection is by not having left turn movements there, we can dedicate a lot more of the green time to just moving through traffic through the intersection. Well, you might say, okay, that's great for the primary intersection. It makes it safer because you have less conflicting turn movements and stuff. It, it moves traffic faster and, and um, more conveniently and efficiently through that intersection. But what happens on the quad road? Well, if you think about it, of that traffic that's going through the primary intersection, that 90,000 vehicles a day we threw out there, only a small percentage percentage of it is actually making those left turns. So if you can capture that traffic and move it onto this other roadway, even though you're only taking a small percentage of the traffic away from the intersection, it takes away a lot of the green time for through movements, through movements because every phase you have to change over between stopping one group of traffic and then allowing another group of traffic to move there's a lot of downtime involved. To make it safe, you know, we have the yellow clearance interval. We have an all-red phase, which is basically where we have red signals to all approaches to make sure everybody stops before we then release another, um, another component of the intersection, more, you know, another movement. And so by taking those phases and eliminating the primary intersection and moving them to these other intersections that are already going to have left turns occurring at them also, it just makes traffic flow a lot more efficiently. And I know a follow-up question you probably have, Jason, I'll just ask it for you <laughs> okay. now, is, yeah, but how do you keep that traffic flowing on the quad roads? Are, are we making less turns now just have to stop at one signal after another, after another? And the answer is we're able to time those signals so that we progress traffic through the quadrant road from one signal to the next. I don't want to go into a lot of detail and just, you know, have everyone's eyes glaze over about how the phasing works and everything like that. But let, let me at least explain to you that, for example, for northbound traffic on Santa Fe, let's say they want to turn left and go westbound on Mineral. What they'll encounter before they even get to the Mineral intersection on Santa Fe is they'll 
they'll encounter another signal um, on Santa Fe, where the quad road is. They'll turn left at that signal. And as that, that platoon of vehicles progress along the quad road, we'll time it such that when they get to the signal at Mineral, they'll receive a green there also and immediately be able to turn left and proceed on Mineral to the west where they're trying to go. So that's kind of how you integrate it um, on a quad road to, to flow the traffic through. Now, there are going to be certain movements, these left turns as we divert them, that will have to go a little bit out of their way. But we try and make the quad road as tight around that primary mineral Santa Fe intersection to really limit how far out of the way they're going. And when you think about it, yes, it's going to take a little longer as far as, you know, how far they're driving to get through this intersection. But what it's going to allow us to do is eliminate those two-mile backups we are getting currently at the intersection. So that traffic, you'll get to the intersection a lot quicker, and you'll just have to go a little bit out of your way to maneuver if you're doing a left turn. And then again, like I said before, those primary movements, right, all that volume that's just going through the intersection will be able to flow through a lot more conveniently. So I know that was a lot of talking, Jason, and <laughs> you probably have some follow-up questions, and uh, so go ahead. <laughs> All right. No, yeah, I, I definitely do. I'm speaking with Aaron Human, Transportation Engineering Manager for Littleton Public Works. We're talking about a new uh, intersection coming to Littleton called a Quadrant Road. So you said that you were going to have a time, the lights timed in a way to allow those left turns to keep going on the quad road. But wouldn't the timing be more uh, better, I guess, uh, if you had it timed right? Because you have two intersections really close to each other, whether it's on Santa Fe or on Mineral. So you have those two intersections pretty close, and you want to keep the majority of the traffic flowing on those two major roads, especially on Santa Fe. So wouldn't the timing of those lights be more uh, important than the timing of just the folks that are trying to get through the quad road? Sure. I mean, all of it's going to work together, right? Um, so definitely, you hit it right on that You know, we're going to give a lot of attention to how those, that times. But there's ways to phase it. And I am trying not to use terminology that most people <laughs> won't use. But basically, when I say a phase, that just means um, a green time that we're giving to certain movements, right? Because we can't give green balls or green indications to all the movements all the time, right? Then we'd have conflicts and we'd have accidents. So when, for example, we're allowing traffic on mineral through Santa Fe as it crosses the Santa Fe intersection to go, at the same time, that's when we allow the traffic on northbound Santa Fe that wants to turn and use the quad road to go at the same time. So they're flowing at the same time. You've already got the Santa Fe vehicle stopped, right? Um, so they're not proceeding at that time. And then when you, you switch over at the main intersection and now you allow Santa Fe traffic to flow and you stop traffic on mineral, that's when you time it so that those vehicles on the quad road would proceed right through and flow onto mineral off the quad road. I, I know it sounds a little complicated, but you're just going to have to trust me that w we have very smart people other than me that will figure out that signal timing and get it right. And, you know, it, it might require some tweaking and stuff over time. Um, but that's, that's the art of signal timing, right? You, 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 you can program it and you can um, model it in, in some of these um, software um, networks that we have. But then once you really get out in the field is when you have to watch it and really get it and fine-tune it to make it work just right. Um, but, you know, that's something we do all the time with our signal systems throughout the city, not just in Littleton, but up and down corridors like Santa Fe. 
we work with um, very smart people at um, agencies such as the Denver Regional Council of Government, where they look at regional corridors like Santa Fe or Broadway or Mineral in Littleton, and they help us time it. So it's not just coordinated when you drive me from one signal to the next in our community, but as you flow into Englewood and all the way up into Denver or down south into Douglas County, because we all know people driving on the roadway, they don't know what city they're in, right? And they don't care that they're going from one city to the next. They want to still be able to flow and not have to stop at every signal, right? So that's why we work regionally um, to try and make things flow on these regional corridors like Santa Fe and Mineral. When you allow more traffic to get through an intersection that's being held right now, metered almost, if you will, are you mm-hmm. then just pushing the problem down to the next spot? I, I saw that happen <laughs> with 225 when CDOT changed it where they have three lanes coming down on the southbound side past Yosemite and dumping out onto I-25. And the way they configured it, they allowed more of the traffic to actually get on I-25. And I see more bottlenecks there, especially on the northbound side getting up to Hamden, including because they, they, they have stopped the uh, allowance to go from DTC Boulevard to make left across all those lanes and then go south on 25 so they're forcing those people to hamden mm-hmm. they have to get off there they have to turn around and go back south so when, when you're when you're allowing for a lot more traffic in one spot you're just pushing it down to another that maybe gets more congested you know it's an excellent point jason excellent observation you're you're exactly right um that we have to be careful what impact this is going to have um both north and south along santa fe and east and west along mineral as we make uh, it more efficient at this particular intersection. And, you know, this is just one project that's, you know, currently in the works along Santa Fe in this area. There are several others that are going on at the same time. Douglas County is going to be kicking off construction of Santa Fe to the south, um, basically C-470 and to the south of there to widen the lanes, rebuild the bridge over C-470, um, make it more convenient. They're going to add, you know, grade separated for the um, the trail that goes under for bikes and pedestrians so they don't have to cross at Santa Fe. So there's other improvements they're making. So, you know, to the south, I think we'll be covered by the additional traffic that we're sending that direction. And then to the north along Santa Fe, you're right. We have several other signals spaced out going through Littleton and, and into Englewood. And that was the purpose of the Santa Fe Action Plan that's currently being wrapped up by CDOT and a whole coalition of agencies up and down that corridor where we're looking at what is the long-term planning for Santa Fe to um, help move traffic along that whole corridor. So this is just one project that we kind of identified in Littleton that we knew this intersection was going to be a problem intersection. That study, that bigger study of the whole corridor, is identifying other bottlenecks, like you like you indicated, up and down the corridor where we need to focus attention next. So, for example, within Littleton, our focus is going to be up near Bowles and Santa Fe, which is right at downtown Littleton, where that's going to become our next congestion point. We already are starting to plan uh, a study at that intersection um, coming out of this uh, action plan for for Santa Fe corridor to start looking at that intersection. How can we make that flow better in the future? Also, unfortunately, we can only you know we only have so much money and so much time to to focus our efforts at one location at a time. So we kind of have to take the worst location first, right? Knowing it's gonna 
push the problem off to another location and then start kind of chasing it down the road and, and keep improving as we go. The improvements that you were just mentioning down along South Santa Fe, south of C-470, I know they're putting at least a partial CFI, continuous flow interchange, uh, down there at Town mm-hmm. Center. So why in this situation on Santa Fe at Mineral is a quad road the better solution and not something like a partial continuous flow or something else? Yeah, no, that, that's an excellent question. We, Like I mentioned before, we did look at a continuous flow intersection at Santa Fe and Mineral also. Um, the reason, they, it was kind of a wash when we looked at both from a, an analysis standpoint as far as how much traffic it would move, the cost to construct it and stuff. The big differential that we saw at Santa Fe and Mineral gets back to, again, what I mentioned, that we see the long-term solution is an interchange here. So whether that's just a you know a diamond interchange where you have ramps that go off and you know mineral goes underneath Santa Fe, uh, kind of like it does underneath the railroads today. When we look at that long-term solution, if we were to put in a continuous flow intersection now, then we'd have to rip that out in the future to build the interchange. Whereas a quad road solution actually builds in a diversion of traffic right there where we can actually use the quad road as we're building the interchange in the future to divert traffic around the intersection, allow us to construct more and quicker, and also not have to rip out um, stuff that we just built. Um, that, Like I said, the quad road is going to serve a dual purpose of not only helping with the regional solution at the intersection, but also internal circulation within the development that's going to be built there at that intersection. So that roadway will be used long-term in the future to still move traffic around that development and not have to be ripped out in the future. So we are kind of looking at that as a, you know, this is an interim solution to the long-term um, of putting in an interchange. And, and that's what was the differentiator of between a CFI and a quad road. We did also talk about, again, the continuous flow intersection because, like you said, they are putting one in at town center. There's actually two other partial continuous flow intersections that they're going to be putting in as a part of that project down south also. One will be on the C-470, um, the bridge over C-470. So we thought for consistency, that might be a good solution. And um, really, it just came down to that construction issue um, in the future, knowing that we're going to want to interchange here, whereas they're not proposing interchanges in the future down south. Yeah, cities like to spend money once, not twice. They don't really have a lot of money to spend on it, on a thing like that twice. No, it's an ex- that's an excellent point. I mean, something like this, the only reason we're able to do it is because we're able to, we are able to get a grant through a federal grant through CDOT, you know, the Colorado Department of Transportation, and Dr. Cog, who I mentioned before, the Denver Regional Council of Governments. They administer grants um, that are come from federal dollars to help with bigger projects like this. This um, particular quad road um, intersection solution is going to cost us about $11 million, which obviously is not any small amount of money. And like you said, we don't want to waste that money and build something that's just going to be ripped out in the future. Now, obviously, it's a lot cheaper than the 65 to $100 million solution I mentioned earlier of an interchange. But um, we, we want to build some infrastructure that's going to be able to be used in the long term also and not just waste those dollars. All right. Now I can't make a left over there at Santa Fe and Mineral, <laughs> and I'm, I'm, going, I'm going north. But I want to make a right to go east on Mineral, go ahead towards Broadway. Can I, can I still make a right at the interchange, or do I have to use the quad road to make rights as well? 
Nope, absolutely. You can make right turns still. We will not re be removing those. And again, it's because right turns flow with through movements, right? As you allow traffic to continue northbound on Santa Fe, at the same time, you provide a green uh, signal for those people that are making a right. It's the left turns that have to conflict with opposing traffic coming southbound, right? You can only, you have to stop one or the other. There's too much traffic that's trying to make the left at the same time that we can't allow that movement to happen at the same time. But right turns, yeah, we, we want them to be cognizant that there are pedestrians and bicycles that we could, could be crossing the, the, um, the roadway at the same time, so they have to watch out for them first. But yeah, they can flow at the same time as the through movement. Because it will take a while for drivers to get it. Uh, only after they blow past the intersection, the quad, <laughs> and they realize, whoa, I, could, I, I just missed my left. Um, is, that, maybe, is that one reason that you're going to have to do some education around uh, the quad road and get people to figure it out? Because it could take a while for, for drivers, if they're not used to it, to, to figure this thing out. No, absolutely. It's an excellent point. That's why we try to educate ahead of time, get this information out like this video that shows how it's going to work. But a big part of the um, design and the cost that's going to go into the quad road is also going to be into markings on the ground and signage to let people know where they should turn to get where they want to go. So we will take advantage of overhead signage. We'll take advantage of markings on the ground, like you see, not only to indicate a left turn, but using symbols to say, hey, here's how you get to US 85 or Santa Fe to guide people and so that they don't miss that turn. Um, you know, that question's come up a lot to me already by residents as we've kind of started to present this idea to them. What happens if you do miss the turn? You know, how are you going to get back to the intersection? Um, you know, and, and that might be an issue for a little while, but we feel like we're, there's going to be enough advanced education and enough signage out there that will really guide people to get where they need to go. And because of the uniqueness of Santa Fe, especially if you're north or southbound, you can't, if you wanted to make that right onto Santa Fe, you're coming north, you, you would have to go either turn around in the uh, Aspen Grove Shopping Center, or you'd have to just continue all the way up to... What I guess almost downtown Littleton, so you could uh, yeah. get get over towards Broadway, just because of the way the railroad tracks are in there. So it's a unique situation in in that as well that you have so many different things working together. Uh, no, you're exactly right. I mean, that's some of the limitations and, and you know boundaries that we have uh, to deal with. Not only in Littleton, Englewood has similar issues too, where we have the railroad running along uh, immediately east of Santa Fe. And so there's only so many places, so many locations where you can get under or over that railroad track um, to get to the east. We have a similar issue to the west where we have the, the Platte River. And um, we only have limited bridges crossing over the, the Platte River to, to get to the west also, which is why our focus wasn't just to make improvements to Santa Fe, but also keep in mind Mineral Avenue and how important that east-west corridor is to get people from um, South Jeffco um, over to the tech center and other places further to the east. It, it, we, we have very few crossings of the river in the city, so we need to take advantage of those key corridors and move as much traffic as we can. Um, and, and, you know, it's tough because you're, you're trying to battle them between moving traffic north-south to get between Douglas County and, and Denver and east-west to get between Jefferson County and, you know, the tech center or to continue up and down Santa Fe. And I, I know from personal experience doing stories 
about and and uh, of the railroad, they are not easy to work with. Um, at least from my point of view, maybe maybe they like you better than they like me. But uh, BNSF and uh, all of them, they're they're not they're not easy to deal with. Well, yeah, and for good reason. I mean, one, they've been around the longest, right? Railroads have been around um, way before you know cars and, and traffic. But, you know, it's not easy to deal with, with trains. You know, it's not easy to turn them. It's not easy to move them. Um, they have really long stopping, um, you know, distances well, and, and, and stuff and like people, that. And more of the people that I, I, I deal with, with uh, getting information from those folks, they're, 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 not, they're not always the happiest to, to hear from me. No, well, you know, they are trying to deal with just one mode, and, and it's a very dangerous <laughs> yeah. mode, right? Trains, we know how much damage a train can do trying to stop, and that's why we try and, you know, separate, grade separate all our crossings. It makes them a lot safer, and, and we know that the railroad is very appreciative every time we do that. We had a project um, about 30 years ago where the railroad used to be crossing at grade. In other words, cars had to stop every time a train came through to allow the train to, to go before they could proceed. And Littleton had a process where we, what we call depressed the railroad going through downtown Littleton so that now we have bridges that go over that railroad and we no longer have those at-grade crossings. It's made a huge difference as far as moving people and goods um, through Littleton, but also made a lot safer, right? Now you don't have people trying to cross at grade and, and getting hit by train. So, yeah, they're, they're difficult to deal with because they're focused on very one one primary focus, which is just to get their trains moving. And, and quieter, I imagine, if you're just going over them and, and not, you know, across them, then they don't need to honk the horn. Oh, exactly, yeah. I, I'm sure our residents all appreciate that very much. Uh, every time you have an at-grade crossing, yeah, they're required to honk their horns to make sure cars know they're coming. So, yeah. It's it's much nicer for our residents. I'm speaking with Aaron Human, Transportation Engineering Manager for Littleton Public Works, talking about the new Quadrant Road uh, idea for the intersection of Santa Fe and Mineral. Uh, how much quicker? I think this is what really people want to know. So once you're done with this project, once it's in place, if I'm just cruising through along Santa Fe or on Mineral, how much quicker is this going to get me through that intersection after all the lefts are removed? And, and how much safer is it? Are there percentage improvements here? Oh, the great questions. Um, our estimates from our, our calculations, we're expecting to decrease some of the travel times by 20 minutes. That's how far it's getting backed up currently. Well, I shouldn't say currently because of the pandemic we're going through, but the, the volumes we expect to be back out there again one day. Yeah, we were getting backups, like I mentioned before, as long as two miles. And, you know, it, cars were having to wait through many, many cycles of getting a green light before they would get through this intersection. We don't see that as being an issue in the, in the future when we open the, the squad road. So we think it's going to save, especially people going through on Santa Fe and Mineral, a lot of time. We're talking about minutes out of your day that you'll get back. Now, if you're making those left turns, you know, at, at times of the day, it's going to feel like, you know, when we're not in rush hour traffic, when it's just the middle of the day, and you're trying to make that left turn, it's going to feel like you're going a little out of your way and add a little bit of time. But hopefully, in other things we're doing on Santa Fe too, you'll gain that time back by making improvements all along this corridor to make the whole of Santa Fe and all of Mineral work more efficiently uh, through Littleton. So um, that's the, the timing side. I think we're going to be saving people minutes out of their day. From a safety side, yeah, Mineral and Santa Fe, 
Um, traditionally, over the last 10 years, we've had more accidents at this intersection than any other in Littleton. It's one of the highest accident intersections all up and down the Santa Fe corridor. And a lot of that had to do with because people would get frustrated, right, because they weren't getting through the signal, they would tend to run red lights and stuff. And that's when you get a lot of those really nasty intersect or accidents of a car turning left and a through car, you know, that T-bones, people like to use that expression, hit them in the side going really fast. So by separating the left turns from this intersection, we're not going to get any of those T-bone um, accidents anymore. And hopefully people won't feel the need to run red lights as much either because they'll be getting through efficiently through the intersection. So we hope that it'll make it a lot safer in this area as well. Will this kick off a round of quad roads all over the city or the state? When when <laughs> we saw our first diverging diamond, then all of a sudden, oh, the one's popping up here, and then one's proposed here, and another one's going to be built here. So is this going to be uh, kicking off a whole bunch of these things? Potentially. Again, the difference between a quad road and a continuous flow intersection, you need a lot more land, right? You need that um, that area, at least in one quadrant of an intersection, sometimes preferably more, because if you had more quadrants where you could put a quad road, you'd disperse that left turn traffic even more around the intersection. But you, you kind of, you need that condition or that situation where you have land that you can work with. We had the benefit, like I said, where the developer was just starting to look at that open space in the southwest corner of the intersection so we could incorporate it into what they're um, developing and designing. You don't have that much space, especially along a lot of our really busy corridors in the Denver metro area. But I could see this being a, a good technique for where we're building out in further suburbs, you know, further out in Douglas County or up north, you know, in the Thornton and, and Broomfield areas like that, where we still have a lot of space and we're building some big roadways and still building a lot of developments that we could incorporate a design like this into those areas. Traffic engineers are always looking at better ways, as you, as you have been alluding to, to move traffic and not just traffic, but uh, biker, uh, bike riders and uh, people mm -hmm. uh, who are walking around. We have, uh, you know, as we just mentioned, we have now diverging diamonds. We have this quad road. We have continuous flow, as we've been talking about. We have regular diamonds. We have all kinds of different interchanges. Have you come up mm -hmm. with your own intersection idea that just hasn't been released yet? <laughs> the human interchange? I, I would love to say that I do, <laughs> but, you know... Jason, I'm not as smart as all these other people that are coming up with these innovative ideas. You know, I'm more focused on Littleton and how can we just make it a safer community, not just for our residents, but for visitors and people that are, you know, going through um, Littleton. Safety is always traffic engineers' primary focus. I, I know everyone likes to talk about capacity and congestion and how to move people faster and easier, but you know, in this day and age, as we're trying, everything's faster, right? We're trying to get everything done and get everywhere faster. We have busier lives. We also want to remind people that, you know, if you go just a little slower, drive at the speed limits that we put out there. They're there for a reason, right? And be conscientious of your other fellow drivers around you and stuff. Yield the right of way to people when it's appropriate. Let people merge in. It's going to move traffic in general that much better if you just, you know, are more aware, stay off your phones, right, while you're driving, be focused on what you're doing, um, then everyone will get where they're going 
that much safer. And, and that's really the goal here, right, is to get everyone home safely to their families, get people to their jobs or to entertainment, wherever they're going. But we want you to get there in one piece, right? It doesn't do any good if you went a little faster and got in an accident. Um, that's not going to get you there. So we just want to remind people, drive at the speed limit, drive aware of what and focused on what you're doing. Don't get distracted. I know it's so easy for all of us to do to want to text or check our phones while we're driving. It'll still be there when you get there. I promise you. <laughs> Here, I have one word for you that, that's going to help solve your traffic problem in around downtown Littleton. Uh, it's called gondolas. <laughs> I, I love the idea. We, we just need some more canals and stuff, right? Right, exactly. We'll turn into a little Venice. Oh, you know, That'd yeah, that's great. a different kind of gondola. I was thinking like the gondola in Vale or Aspen, but you're thinking oh, you're thinking no. uh, Venice gondola, sure. which is brilliant. <laughs> yeah, take advantage of the the Platte River, although it's the the water is pretty low in it right now. But <laughs> no, yeah, gondolas. You know, we've talked about that before too. A way to to get people, you know, not just use them in the ski resorts, but. Uh, it gives you a nice view, right, of the mountains yeah, sure. also. If you could As I recall, there is actually a bridge for a little stream over the railroad tracks there in Littleton. As I, When I was flying in the helicopter, I remember there's a bridge for a <laughs> river, isn't there? Yes, it, it's called a flume. Um, it's right in downtown Littleton. It's What happened is when they depressed the railroad, so they, they put the railroad a little lower down so that all the roads could go over it. When they did that, we ran into issue with Littles Creek, which runs... Um, right along east-west through downtown also, and how to, to transfer that water then um, across the railroad. And the idea that someone came up, this all predates me, of course, in Littleton, was to put in a flume, which allows, it's basically a bridge for the water, right, to flow over um, the railroad. And we've talked, um, many people have brought that up as, is that another potential place where we could convert that not only to conveying water over the railroad, but People, bikes also, is that another bridge we could utilize? And we've looked at that a little bit and, and maybe someday in the future, but it's an expensive uh, enterprise to, to attack that and make it so it's safe and convenient for people to use also. But no, you're exactly right. It's a, a bridge for water. Yeah, I, I think because I flew in the helicopter all the time, uh, I, I, I just always remarked that when we were flying up along the Santa Fe corridor and thought it was just really, really cool. You, you must be uh -huh. excited, though, when all this is done in the next couple of years to really see how it works. I, I'm sure one you know, is, issue is just seeing it, all right, on paper and going, oh, th this has the theoretics are here. It looks like it could work, but then seeing it in action mm -hmm. is probably going to be really exciting for you. Oh, very much so. I mean, I'm just so excited that we've kicked off the design. You know, it's one thing to study something and plan for it, but, you know, as engineers, we really want to get into the design of it and then build it. Um, so that we can see how it how effective it is and 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 get it out there working to benefit um, the general public. That is the goal ultimately. So I am very excited for it to be built. And we have a lot of other projects that we're doing here in Littleton um, to help move traffic and other modes, pedestrians, bicycles more safely. Also, that we have ongoing that are going to be you know at, coming up uh, at the same time as this quad road. We actually have a project immediately to the east of Santa Fe on Mineral that we're looking at. We just kicked off a project where we're going to look at how to get pedestrians and bicycles and people out of their cars to get to the light rail station more um, safely and more effectively. Again, to try and cut down on the number of cars that are driven around um, the Denver metro area because ultimately we're not going to build lanes, enough lanes to, to drive everywhere conveniently and have enough capacity. 
we need to get people to realize that there's other ways to get places, right? Use, utilize the light rail system. Um, walk places if you can or bike. Um, I bike to work whenever I go into the office. Right now, we're still working somewhat from home and somewhat in the office, but I use the Mary Carter Greenway and, and bike to work every day when I go in. So I really encourage other people to do the same. Yeah, Excellent. Well, thank you, Aaron, so much for your expertise. Uh, even though you don't think you're smart, you are very smart. Uh, <laughs> I appreciate all your smarts here uh, explaining this project and all the other things happening in Littleton. My pleasure. And, and I invite anyone when, when they hear this podcast or they see the video, if they have any questions about it, please contact me. I, I'd love to talk to them about it and, and answer any questions they have. Excellent. Yeah, and I'll put that link here on also the description of the show so you can get the uh, contact link for Littleton Public Works as well as see the description, see that video so you can see how this intersection all works. Thanks again, Aaron. Great. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on, Jason. Every time I think I'm pretty smart, these real traffic engineers, they come on the show and they knock me back down to the sidewalk where I belong. <laughs> It's just, I'm just, you know, look, I'm just too old and crotchety now, I think, to get an engineering degree. I have thought about it. Um, but look, I, I got uh, uh, maybe 10 years of, of good corporate life left in me. And then I don't know what I'm going to do as soon as Jolene, uh, my baby girl who's in fourth grade right now, graduates high school. So she's 10. So I got, what, eight years, maybe 10 years of, of real corporate living work here. And then I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. Uh, but <laughs> I hope it's not waking up at 2.30 every single morning. But anyway, you can read more about this quad intersection. There's also a video. I posted a video from the city of Littleton about how this quad intersection works. Uh, that link right now is also in the description of this show. And as I said at the start of the show, it is the holiday season. And a lot of people love to listen to holiday music. Uh, I, I'd like it to a point... I tend to default to just listening to the Charlie Brown Christmas music more than anything else. It just brings me to a happy child place. Uh, but did you know that the most dangerous Christmas songs to drive to, it has been revealed. There's a new study from Irish car insurance provider Chill Insurance, and they've discovered the most dangerous Christmas songs to drive to by analyzing the beats per minute of each piece of music. And so the higher beats per minute in the song relates to or equates to how dangerous the song is to drive to. So this is their top 10 list, and I'll start with number 10 and work our way up to the most dangerous Christmas song to drive to. It's all based on beats per minute. So number 10, it's the by the Jackson 5, I Saw Mommy Kissing Santa Claus. <laughs> Comes in at 129 beats per minute. Judy Garland makes the top 10 at number nine. Have yourself a merry little Christmas. I wouldn't think that is a very dangerous song to drive to, but at 137 beats a minute, apparently it is. At number eight is Wizard. I wish it could be Christmas every day. I'm not familiar with Wizard. Um, I should look. Well, no, I don't have time. Uh, Gene Autry at number seven. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. We're not going to let any reindeer in reindeer games. At 142 beats a minute. Uh, Frank Sinatra makes the list. You would think Frank Sinatra would be nice and calming. But apparently at, at number six, his song Let It Snow, Let It Snow, Let It Snow is the sixth most dangerous Christmas song to drive to. Uh, John Lennon and Yoko Ono. Happy Christmas. War is over. 
at 146 beats a minute, comes in at number five. All right, continuing with the top five, uh, we're back again with the second Jackson 5 song. It is Santa Claus is Coming to Town <laughs> at 147 beats a minute. All right, here we go to the top three, and these are all very, very Christmassy, famous Christmassy songs. So we have Feliz Navidad at 149 beats a minute. I, I think more dangerous because people are singing along with it and then uh, maybe turning the steering wheel at the same time. Uh, Miss Christmas herself, Mariah Carey at number two for All I Want for Christmas at 150 beats a minute. And the number one most dangerous Christmas song to drive to, according to Chill Insurance, is, drumroll please, uh, Gene Autry's Frosty the Snowman <laughs> at 172 beats a minute. So good old Gene Autry. I think Gene Autry also sings the one that uh, Santa's coming in a whirly bird, uh, the helicopter song. Uh, Christmas song. So <laughs> I've always liked that one. Now, the basis of the study, they say, they used findings from South China University of Technology, and they discovered that songs with uh, beats per minute of 120 are linked to more dangerous driving behaviors due to your cardiovascular increases, your psychological and physiological impacts of those songs and of the higher beats per minute. As they say, such high beats per minute are linked to more stressful temperaments in drivers. Therefore, you have a song that that it's really cooking, the, that you're going to be more dangerous um, and it's going to make it more stressful. I would think it's just the opposite because you're because you're singing Christmas songs. Everybody's all happy about about their Christmas songs and it's giving the the, the Christmas cheer. And if you're looking for a Christmas song that are uh, that is safe to drive to, the study also found a few tunes you could add to your car playlist. Here now are the 10 safest Christmas songs to drive to. And again, I think we should start with number 10 and work our way down. Uh, one of my least favorite songs ever in the history of holiday songs, Band-Aids, Do They Know It's Christmas? <laughs> Just don't like that song. Uh, Leona Lewis, One More Sleep. Again, not really familiar with that one. Uh, number eight, Bing Crosby, Little Drummer Boy. Eh, not, not, not really a fan of that one, but the uh, Pentatonix drummer boy, that's a good version. Uh, Dean Martin, my favorite. Who's Who, do, who doesn't love some Dean Martin? Uh, Dean Martin comes in at number seven with Winter Wonderland. Uh, Wham, another one of my least favorite Christmas songs, at number six with Last Christmas. Oh, that song is awful. Uh, oh, yeah, we got Bubbly. Uh, at number five, Michael Buble. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. And apparently at 95 beats a minute is nice and safe to drive to. Paul McCartney's Wonderful Christmas Time. Again, another awful Christmas song at 95 beats a minute. It comes in at number four. I guess the, the Buble and the and the Beatle would be tied there since they both come in at 95. Uh, number three, Julie Andrews' Hark the Herald Angels Sing. I don't think we hear that one very often. Uh, number two, Eartha Kitt's Santa Baby at number 84. <laughs> I think uh, fewer stations are playing that because of the uh, controversy. And the number one most safest song to uh, drive to during the holiday season is the Pogues Fairy Tale of New York. Uh, no, sir, I've not. Uh, I don't think I've ever heard that one. Um, I don't. Yeah, no, I don't. I. Okay. Uh, if you want to, you, you can call me and sing it to me uh, in on my uh, 
voicemail if you want, 303-832-0217. Separately, at the end of reading through that research, I came across another interesting study that looked at the effects of singing on driving performance. And they concluded that while singing while driving was rated as more mentally demanding and resulted in slower and more variable speeds than driving without music, listening to music was associated with the slowest speeds overall and fewer lane excursions than no music at all. So collectively, results suggest that singing while driving alters driving performance and impairs hazarded hazard perception while at the same time increasing the subjective mental workload. Basically, singing and listening to songs at the same time is too taxing on your brain because you're trying to do so much while you're driving and you're trying to sing along with your favorite songs, and so it makes you a hazard on the road. However, singing while driving does not appear, as they say, to affect driving performance more than just simply listening to music. So singing at the top of your lungs while, while singing Frosty the Snowman while driving, it could be the most dangerous thing you can do this holiday season. So be careful out there if you like to blast a little Gene Autry, Frosty the Snowman, singing at the top of your lungs as you're driving around. Uh, anyway, thanks again for being here. Thanks for listening. And until next time, I'm Jason Luber, the Traffic Guy. Be safe, and as always, happy motoring. Happy motoring.